Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Bathroom remodel is coming along beautifully. Yes, it is. It's moving right along. Uh-huh. Um, we <laughs> there was a discussion like two weeks ago that was like, uh, so we should have a new shower by the end of this weekend. <laughs> and um, I was like, well, that's very optimistic, you know. But the shower walls are still in the driveway, <laughs> and I noticed that some chipmunks. Well, the chipmunks were. <laughs> scootling in and out of the box uh, as though they were making a home. Okay, so what are you saying? Are you saying that, that it's taking me so long I to just, put the shower up? I was like, hey, now- we could hire someone to do it if you wanted, and you were like, no, and that's fine. Uh-huh. You know, that's fine, but you've got you've got a lot of other stuff I, going I, on. I, I do. You know, the, yeah. the work and yeah. the snacking and <laughs> naps that's every true. day. Naps, that should have been first on the list. So, yeah. well, um, I'm I'm just concerned about the woodland creatures. I, I would really feel badly if I displaced them. Oh, so at this point, it's just theirs. It's theirs and now. And we should figure something yeah. else out. <laughs> That's right. We need yeah, to... Just need... drag the garden hose through the bathroom window. <laughs> sure. And... That's what we have uh-huh. now. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting to it. I <laughs> No, I know. I know. It's it is moving slower than I would like. <laughs> um but uh what bit I have uh, achieved, it looks pretty good. Yeah. And, yeah, it does. And so far I haven't destroyed our plumbing as far as I know. That's true. We'll we'll see how that turns out. It reminds me of a sign at a convenience store I used to work at that said uh <laughs> Listen, ladies, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. There's no need to nag me about it every six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't get it. Anyway, um, (laughs) what you got for me? Oh, it's my turn to go first. That's fun, because first, okay. In 1971, Richard Wassersug published a paper that tested the comparative palatability of eight species of tadpoles. Okay. So he had this theory that 
if a tadpole was easy to catch, it would probably taste bad. Because in nature, if you're not able to get away from predators, sure. the least you can do is not be tasty. Well, okay, I understand that that there is there's some scientific principle there, but was he was he tasting tadpoles himself? He would find fellow grad students uh, and bribe them with beer <laughs> to do taste tests, okay. basically. Right. So he would he would corral grad students yeah, and get them all schmammered mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. say, "Hey, let's have some tapas." <laughs> <laughs> and then later when they were like, what the hell? And he's like, I told you we were eating tadpoles. And they were like, no, you said tapas. And he was like, no, I was like, tadpoles. And then they were <laughs> yeah. like, tapas, tadpoles, 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 tadpoles. I've heard it both ways. Right? Very confusing. So NPR.org reported that uh, Wassersug wasn't a subject, but he said that he did taste the tadpoles, too. He didn't eat any of them, but he did taste them. Mm -hmm. How and does one determine <laughs> which tadpoles taste good? Mm. Because what's your frame of reference there? What What is your baseline? He said, in truth, none of them tasted sweet and delicious. <laughs> But one species of tadpole stood out, toad tadpoles. It was one of the worst things I've ever tested. So, astonishingly bitter, a teaspoonful of Tabasco sauce might get you close. Ooh. So he was comparing them to each other, okay. not to a delightful uh, macaron. I see. Or macaroon, depending on who you ask. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. <laughs> oh, Charles Darwin. I bet he tasted bitter, too. Because he was slow? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just trying to work in some cannibal humor. All right. Charles Darwin's first contribution to Cambridge life was the Glutton Club, which he formed <laughs> with several friends. Okay. The sole purpose of this student society was to consume animal meat before too unknown the human palate. Wow. So this is according to universityarms.com. The club, like most, met on a weekly basis, uh, but instead of, you know, discussing their weekly duties or whatever, the club just had one thing to do, and that was to eat, quote, birds and beast, which before unknown to the human palate, the club didn't last long. Uh, that's according to allthatsinteresting.com. They all died off. <laughs> <laughs> from some sort of a parasitic infection. Weird, right? Mm. So during their time together, the club sampled mostly birds, among them a hawk, a heron-like bird called a bittern, and a brown owl. The owl, however, was the club's downfall as they lost their gusto upon tasting its, <laughs> quote, indescribable flesh. <laughs> Apparently, it wasn't a good kind of indescribable, not like, you know, something nice. Years ago, there was a reality show that uh, starred Gary Busey. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was like maybe five episodes. But I remember one very distinctly where he was showing people how to survive in the, quote, urban wilderness. Um, and he actually cooked and ate a, ro a roadkill squirrel. Oh. He found it on the side of the road. Oh, okay. And then he said, well, this is fresh. And then he just prepared and, and made a little fire on the sidewalk and, and yeah. ate it. This yeah. all feels very right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not. No. Nope. Mm -mm. This just seems good. Yep. Busey. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so in 1831, when Darwin was just 22 years old, he set sail on an expedition on the ship called the HMS Beagle. And he was the naturalist on the voyage. As a naturalist, it was his job to observe and collect the specimens of plants and rocks and animals and fossils wherever the expedition went ashore. And while the expedition was originally planned to last for two years, it lasted almost five. But he actually only spent about 18 months on the ship because once he got off the ship, he wanted to explore. And mm. that's just what he did. And much of his exploring was eating the creatures that he encountered. Wow. He took the glutton club with him. Oh, it was Meals on Wheels. <laughs> During these years, he ate puma, which he described as remarkably like veal in taste, iguanas, armadillos. He not only ate giant tortoise, which, you know, the Galapagos what? are kind of like... What? Yeah. Uh, but he also drank their bladder contents, <laughs> which he described as quite limpid and only had a very slight bitter taste. That's P. What, what, did he lose a bet? <laughs> No. <laughs> they got all schmammered on the beagle and like, I bet you can't drink that turtle piss. <laughs> I bet I can. He's just real curious. Yeah, he is. Curious like a cat. Mm -hmm. That's why they call me Whiskers. He ate a 20 pound rodent. All 20 pounds? I'm not sure, uh, but. That's impressive. <laughs> he did describe Just washed that. it down with some turtle piss. <laughs> he did describe that as the best meat he'd ever tasted. Really? Yeah. In Argentina, he also dined on a lesseria, uh, which is like a South American version of an ostrich. And the unfortunate part of this was they had spent several months trying to capture and study this bird. And someone in his party did and unknowingly was like, oh, here's this bird. I'm going to chop it up and, no. and we're going to eat it. No. And he was like halfway through eating it before someone mentioned like, oh, yeah, this is a lesseria. And he was like, everyone needs to stop. And he collected all their plates <laughs> and gathered all the remaining bones and feathers and skin. Oh, man. And sent it all back to England. <laughs> like some sort of weird leftovers study. Wow. He was pretty adventurous. Uh, he's, he's sailing around the world in the Beagle and trying all these exotic meats, I'd be afraid I'd get some sort of lower intestinal discomfort. I wonder if he did. I wonder if he was like just really pissing off all of his crewmates. It's like he's on the Beagle and they're like, Jesus, Darwin, crack a window or something. Where's Darwin? He's in the shitter again. Well, I'm, I imagine that the more you punish your body with this kind of thing, the the more your body would get used to it. Maybe he had kind of an iron tum-tum by maybe, this point. Maybe. Who knows? Or he was trying to evolve one. Maybe. The NPR article that I read about this said that there were many examples of this kind of research eating. And the author of this article said that their favorite example came from Robert Thorson, who's a geologist. And in the 1970s, he was in Alaska studying rock layers. And in a thawing bank of permafrost, he and his colleague found the frozen carcass of a 30,000-year-old now extinct giant bison. They cooked that bastard up? No, they ate it raw. No, they didn't. They are you what? Yeah. So What was that like? Thorson 
said that uh, some of the meat came out attached to a bone fragment. So he was just curious to see what old meat tasted like. (laughs) Aged to perfection. So I hauled it down to the stream, he said, (laughs) rinsed it free of silt, and chomped away. He described it as having a weird, stringy, leathery texture. (laughs) Yep. With little flavor beyond the ambient, pungent rankness. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. That takes some... Balls. Yeah. Well, 30,000, you don't know anything no. about what's, you just put that inside your right. body. Maybe it's going to thaw out some sort of prehistoric bacteria that your immune system has no way of defending itself against. That's just, there's a thin line between genius and stupidity. Maybe he just thought his belly acids would take care of any of that bacteria. Maybe. Like, Maybe. yeah, it's mm. fine. Mm. Don't worry about it. So in... Another article that I was reading, one of the things that they discussed was like, why is this such a widespread thing? Like, why? I mean, most people would go, "Um, no, thanks. (laughs) But when you consider the familiarity levels of these things that they're encountering, as opposed to our familiarity levels, we eat the things that are around us all the time. So we're very accustomed. Accustomed. Yes. We're very accustomed to them. We understand where they come from, for the most part, and it seems normal. These people are around these weird things all the time. Naturalists, it's their job to study, to explore. And so they're around different, weirder things more than we are. Mike Siddle was interviewed. Chicken, beef, pork, you're familiar with those things. Fundamentally, he said, the contents of a lobster, muscle and exoskeleton, is not dramatically different from that of a crayfish. Or a cockroach. Crayfish is not that different from a grasshopper. Oh, here we go. So, you know, once you understand the science of yeah. life forms, it all starts to seem closer knit than than the average person would see it. Sidetrack. Um, go. Lo- lobster. We live in Maine, of course, the lobster capital of, uh, of, of the Americas. I would I would venture a guess as to say, um, and it is lobster, of course, thought of as a higher end. I wouldn't say delicacy, but but a higher end food. It's something that you get at a fancy restaurant, right? You Not know. always been that way, though. No. No. In fact, back a hundred or two hundred years ago, in this area, only the poor people ate lobster because they couldn't afford the beef or the pork or the mutton or whatever was available. They would eat lobsters. And it was so humiliating if you were a lobster eater that they would hide the shells so no one would know that they were eating lobster. Which in turn fertilized their gardens. You're welcome. Ah, I'm just saying lobster compost is great fertilizer. uh Okay. That's why we've also got those good potatoes. Suck it, Idaho! (laughs) JK, JK. First of all, I do have to say I don't have anything against Idaho. Mm -hmm. I like to see it, rather than a competition, as a unifying brotherhood of tubers. I see. I understand. Okay. Most people do know that Maine is famous for lobster, but um, we are also second only to Idaho in potato production, although I think our friends in Aroostook County, where all the potatoes are grown, would say that uh, we are second to none. Second to none. Anyway. Back. Also, blueberries. 
<laughs> Back to your story. They're so big and juicy. Okay. <laughs> so it makes sense that uh, biologists, uh, scientists, naturalists would eat what they study because they're around it all the time. It mm -hmm. doesn't seem as foreign and weird to them. Sure. Now, of course, they're not around 30,000-year-old bison meat all the time. But still, it is more familiar to them than it is to us, for sure. Uh, I guess I guess that makes sense. Richard Wassersug, the tadpole eater, yeah. uh, he's quoted in the NPR article stating that Eating your study organism is more of a side effect of being a naturalist. In his opinion, the curiosity that led scientists to study the world in the first place makes them want to experience it more fully mm -hmm. through seeing, smelling, feeling, and eating. Okay. So it's their curiosity that led them to being a scientist, and it's their curiosity that leads them to eat tadpoles. Let's just be clear. There are some things you should not taste. Well, I don't know. I mean, what is food, really? Food is a thing that we determine that we put in our bodies to fuel our bodies. But uh -huh. are Cheetos food, you know, what, I mean, really, <laughs> you know, is what makes something food and not food? Is it just that you can consume it without being sick that makes it food? Is it that, what makes it food? I would say something that does not make you sick when you consume it and also provides some sort of nourishment. So That's a pretty low bar. Yeah, Cheetos, not, no, Cheetos don't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how much you love what you study. If it's 30,000 years old and it's in frozen mud, Probably don't he put it in your mouth. He rinsed it. <laughs> he rinsed it off. Yeah. In a stream you that probably... You think that's okay with food that you eat? What, the five-second rule? Yeah. Well, that's different. Five seconds, 30,000 years. <laughs> no, I used to have a friend who worked on a Alaska crab boat or sure yeah something like that mm -hmm. i don't know and he he was a man who would eat all the things and every once in a while report back like hey he had some raw horse <laughs> and really yeah it was like a badge of honor yeah for him he was way into it wow equestrian dining i don't know he's a very know. talented uh makeup artist now oh that guy but uh also ate a lot of real gross stuff. Interesting. Yeah. I'm serious, though. You, it, I can't think of any... Well, I can think of a sum of money that I would accept to eat 30,000-year-old frozen mud meat. It would be in the six figures. It would take. It would take six figures. Oh, no. To get me to eat 30,000-year-old. Because, again, I'd be concerned about bacteria, or maybe they had some sort of weird parasitic worm that was frozen in the permafrost as mm -hmm. well, and, and it would activate, and I'd become like some sort of a weird mutant hybrid. Yeah, like some sort of wasp zombie. Yes. I don't know. I, I feel like after that amount of time, there's a certain amount of, like, you know how there are certain dishes that are made by just putting meat in a jar and letting mm -hmm. it sit for like 40 sure. days? I mean, you know, I am a vegetarian, yes, but um, this animal died, uh, I'm going to assume natural causes, mm -hmm. probably not in a factory farm. Right. And um, so you're, you're cool with that idea. If they wanted to, you're, you're cool with that idea that somebody would eat 30,000-year-old meat. I, do, I wouldn't make a habit of it, but I can understand the, mm. the curiosity that would lead you to do that. Be Certainly, it wouldn't take me six figures. It's interesting because 
About three days after you open a jar of mayonnaise, you want to throw it out. It's gross. It's dairy. (laughs) And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, we're discussing some of the most highly paid animal actors. Why are you talking like that? That's weird. I want to. Number five, Rin Tin Tin. The boss of me. He earned $6,000 per week. And this was, wow, way back in the, what, 40s? Which is equates to about $75,000. Wow. Number four, Kiko the Killer Whale, a.k.a. the star of Free Willy. The whale earned over... <laughs> The whale, over, the whale earned over thirty-six million dollars. <laughs> I'm so poor. I am so poor compared to this whale. Well, it says here that Kiko passed away in Norway in 2003. I wonder who got that money. Who was in Kiko the Killer Whale's will Trust. in the whale will? <laughs> Pal the collie, who was the very first dog that played Lassie earned $4,000 a week. In today's acting world, that would be about $51,000 per week. Wow. Pal passed away in 1958, 18 years old, and then there was like, I don't know, 8,000 lassies after that. Number two, Moose the Jack Russell, who was on Frasier, earned $10,000 each episode. (laughs) And number one, Crystal the Capuchin Monkey, earned $12,000 per episode. She's been seen in a number of TV shows, over 20 different films like Night at the Museum and Hangover Part 2. My mom used to have a capuchin monkey. I think her name was Susan or something like that. (laughs) She had a monkey named Susan? (laughs) Okay. Your mom has weird names for animals. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. You hear Kat and I talk a lot about aura frames, and there's a reason for that. We live in Ecuador, and our family is all over the place. In fact, Kat right now is up visiting her mom, and when I say up, I mean Maine. We got her an aura frame, so we could share photos and videos from any device, and they'll instantly appear on the frame, which makes it easy because she's getting up there in years. It's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app, and it's the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. It is the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get 30% off free shipping and their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's the podcast that bumps into things in your living room in the middle of the night just to mess with your head. This is The Box of Oddities. In a recent episode where we talked about you uh, locking me out of the bedroom while I was in the uh, in the kitchen in the middle of the night eating a pie, yeah. um, <laughs> we, got, uh, we got a message from Eric who said, One night I got the scare of my life. My wife and I were sleeping in a basement bedroom, and I was having a dream that people were breaking into the house. I could hear feet thumping around upstairs. In my dream, I told my wife, and I started to get up and get the gun out of our gun safe. Right as I got out of bed, I woke up into real life. I realized I'd been dreaming. I calmed down. I laid back down to go to sleep. Just then, my wife rolled over, looked at me, and whispered, There's someone in here. So I immediately jump up and run for the gun safe, only to realize she sounded way too calm when she was saying that and was still lying there with her eyes closed. She was sleep talking. Oh, no. Needless to say, the adrenaline kept me up for hours. Wow. They were having like the same dream at the same time. That's creepy. Yeah, we got a few messages about that. <laughs> that little interaction that we had. One person reached out and said, I love that Kat had no concern for her own safety and didn't think to wake up Jethro. <laughs> Just ran to the door with her butter knife. Yep. And someone said, uh, it was a bread knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to make sure we get our facts straight. All right. Located... At 55 Ship Street in Wan Chai, Hong Kong, is what's left of a beautiful, sprawling 100-year-old mansion known as uh, Nam Ku Terrace. It's been uh, designated as a Grade 1 historic building. It's abandoned, but the two-story red brick building was built uh, between 1915 and 1921 and was owned by a wealthy Shanghai merchant family whose last name was uh, To, a prominent Hong Kong businessman. To Chung Man first leased the land where the building now stands in 1915. He built the home over a period of years. He was kind of a, a community leader. He was upper management at a, a company that uh, sold silks. He also held various posts in the community, including secretary of the commercial chamber. He was also a member of the Chinese General Chamber of Commerce. Now, the house itself was designed in a European style with architectural influence from the colonial era of Hong Kong. It's it's a sprawling estate, like I said, very beautiful. Even though it's abandoned, it's an interesting combination of architecture. It has the, uh, the European influence, but also uh, Chinese architectural motifs. Um, it also kind of drew from ancient Greek architectural orders. It's a very beautiful building. And they lived there in this house pretty happily until 1941. It was during the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong when the Toh family had no choice but to leave the mansion and get as far away from the invaded city as possible. Now, this is when the shit really started to go sideways in a hurry. 
During this period, between 1941 and 1945, when the Japanese occupied Hong Kong, they had left, but he rented the house to his younger brother, who stayed there until 1943, when he suddenly passed away inside the house. During the occupation, and with the house empty, Namku Terrace and several other buildings in the Wan Chai area were appropriated by the Japanese soldiers mm. to house comfort women. Oh. Comfort women were women and girls who were forced into being sex slaves by the Imperial Japanese Army. Well, that's a lot less charming sounds, than it sounds. Yeah, comfort women sounds nice, but it. Yeah. the name comfort woman is a translation from uh, Japanese ianfu, which is also a euphemism for prostitute. Estimates vary as to how many women were involved with numbers ranging from as low as 20,000 to as high as 410,000 sex slaves. The exact number is being debated still to this day. Now, they weren't all in this house, obviously, right. but but this, was, um, this particular building was a well-known house for comfort women. According to testimonies, young women were abducted from their homes oh, under the imperial Japanese rule. In many cases, women were lured with promises of work in factories or restaurants. Mm -hmm. They would promise them nursing jobs. They would train them to become nurses and then work for the Japanese army. But they were recruited and then brought to places like this, this house in uh, Hong Kong. Oh, it's terrible. Essentially, they were incarcerated in comfort stations, both inside their nations and abroad. Sometimes they would, they would take these women, they would abduct them, and then they'd ship them to other countries to be comfort women for Japanese soldiers in different countries. For the remaining years of the occupation, this house in particular was the site of sex slavery, human trafficking, torture, and murder. The basement of the house was used as a makeshift morgue, and it's said to Jesus. have been overflowing at one point with the bodies of dead comfort women. It's estimated that hundreds could have perished inside this one building alone in a period of three years. Holy shit. So when the Japanese army left Hong Kong, the Toh family resumed ownership of the home, but they decided, yeah, we don't want it back. Mm. You know, well, they didn't give it away. They still owned it, but they refused to move back in. It remained empty for over 40 years. It just stood there. In 1988, the family sold the property to a company called Hopewell Holdings, with the property company initially planning to build a luxury hotel on the site, again, back in 1988. Mm. The building remains vacant to this day. Even though they had plans to demolish the building and replace it with a luxury hotel, and their p plan was even approved by the government, for some reason, nobody seems to know why, they never began construction. The building is just standing there today, remains vacant and unused. Locals refer to it as the haunted house. It's, uh, it's said that the spirits of many of these comfort women who died remain there in the building. I would think that, you know, you hear about stories like this, and it's always scenes of great tragedy that often have the most paranormal activity or, or ghost sightings. I, I keep referencing the Gettysburg battlefield mm. when you've got tens and tens and tens of thousands of people dying all in a two or three day period. Mm. There's all kinds of emotional release. And it would seem to me that this would have a similar type of um, 
of effect. Besides the uh, the deaths of the comfort women during the World War II period, over the years, for some reason, there have been a number of bodies found inside the house or on the grounds. Apparently, as many as 30 suicides have occurred around this location. Some bodies recovered from the rooms. Others needed to be cut down from trees in the garden and oh. the yard. There are numerous accounts of people hearing screams and seeing strange green lights from inside the house. It's reported that in the 1960s, there had been an attempt to exercise the property. A priest came in with a group of people, including a young girl, and shortly after it began, the young girl who was participating in the exorcism ran screaming out of the house and started trying to attack uh, nearby neighbors. Over the years, the house has been a popular destination, of course, for ghost hunters, sure, demonologists. It's also a popular spot for local kids to go party. Oh, sure. Yeah. There have been countless reports filed with local police regarding strange occurrences witnessed inside this old abandoned mansion. Most have to do with disembodied voices, apparitions, and shadow people. According to police reports, as recently as 2003... A group of eight teenage girls decided to put the whole haunted house idea to the test. They went to Namku Terrace with the intention of spending the night there. Mm -hmm. Three of the eight students are reported to have become extremely agitated while inside the property. One girl in particular is said to have had a psychotic break. As the girls panicked and fled from the house, one girl in particular stayed behind. She was either unwilling or unable to step outside the confines of the gate. She would get to the gate and she could not go any further than the gate. Something was holding her back huh. from, from straying past the gate. The report goes on to say that the girl also took on a totally different personality and was speaking in a voice that didn't sound like her own. It was actually more like the voice of an old man as opposed to a young girl. Really? Police were called. They tried to lead the girl off the property. She started screaming at him in that voice. And then she violently attacked the two police. <clears throat> she violently attacked the two police officers that had reported to the disturbance. It took both officers to subdue this girl. Uh, later, she and two of the other girls that were there were sent to a uh, hospital for psychiatric treatment. Wow. Why is it always teenage girls who are like, oh, let's go have a sleepover in the haunted house? It's just, <laughs> it's a horror movie in the making. Ladies, stop it. People who have gone in the house that have had visions, the most common ones are of um, blood-drenched or decapitated women. Oh. Um, they hear piercing shrieks. Even if they cover their ears, they still hear these shrieks. Others have said that they've witnessed uh, a man dressed in black roaming the corridors of the, uh, of the property. Hmm. So why is the building just standing there? Yeah. Why didn't they uh, develop it? The official stance of the company that owns the property is that they plan to let it stay standing due to its status as a historical building, despite their previous plans for demolishing it. Well, some of the claims about the building, uh, people say they're exaggerated, the, the hauntings. But the story that I just told you about the experiences of the girls is, in, is in fact, confirmed. It's, uh, it's, it was reported by a number of newspapers at the time, there's really no reason other than, yeah, we just wanted, they knew it was an historic building when they bought it. Right. And they, the intention at that point was to knock it down. Knock it down. They were approved by the government to knock it down. So it seems like a real weird change of heart to have just because it was a historic building. And it's in a... Or an historic building. If you will. 
it's in a very good neighborhood. I mean, it's valuable property, especially today. Mm. And a luxury hotel would do very well there. It's just an unanswered question. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but uh, it's still there. It's abandoned and shit's still happening. That sounds unpleasant. I got my information from Wikipedia, cool, interesting stuff, abandoned places, square foot, coconuts.co, and CNN. Oh, wow. Yeah. What do you do with all them sources? Would you go and stay a night in a place like that? Um, I think I would, going there, I don't know if I'd want to stay the night there. Just knowing that such atrocities had taken place in this yeah. area, you could not help but feel the oppression. I'm, I'm sure you could just feel feel it when you walk in and you, you look at like if you went down to the basement and just knew that at one point it was packed to the rafters with dead bodies. Yeah, it would seem, uh, I guess it would feel disrespectful to me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, let's make a game out of this place that really should be like, I don't know, there's a certain reverence that should come in a place where such atrocities have mm. taken place. Sure. I mean, I guess there are examples where we still have fun in, in places where terrible things have happened, but I don't know. It just seems kind of gross. What about a place like Waverly Asylum in mm. Kentucky? Would you spend a night there? Again, it's so weird because it's such a, a, it's a place with so much sadness. And death. Yeah. 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 The body shoot. And uh, the death tunnel, the death tunnel, mm. the uh, the suicides that have taken place there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, it's, it's definitely an oppressive atmosphere. Yeah. It's, it's got to be one of those places where you could probably almost taste the atmosphere when you walk in. Gross. I said taste again, didn't I? And you hate that word. Well, well, I mean, it wasn't tadpoles. That's, so, that's, you know. <laughs> that's true. So the thing that we've learned today is that cat is all for eating 30,000 year old meat. But she won't stay in the in a haunted house. Won't stay in a haunted house, just not a house where hundreds of women had been brutalized yeah. and murdered. It I, seems disrespectful. I get you. Yep, you're absolutely right. I still would like to make a reverence-filled visit, though, to oh, see it. Oh, I'd be it. very interested in seeing the building, for yeah. sure. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Would you go down into the basement? You would, wouldn't you? Oh, sure. Yeah. I guess. I in, mean, in a respectful way? Yeah. Okay. I think that's the difference. You know, it, you, I, I wouldn't want to make a game out of it. You don't want to go there and, and like have a drinking party and spend the night. Exactly. I got you. Right. Yeah. And for me, you know, any sort of like haunted house ghost hunting event is going to be like like a ha-ha event mm -hmm. you know it's not like oh let's go here and be serious because yeah. well um yeah. well so that's how you feel now <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have an experience one day and it's going to change your whole perspective well, it's going to be a paradigm shift that sounds like um something that someone might say <laughs> yeah i did it just now in fact. Yeah, it's gross. Hey guys, thanks for hanging out with us. As I've said before, quantum physics suggests that when you stop listening to this episode, we cease to exist. So if you would be so kind as to leave us a positive uh, review, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen, then that way we know we're real and we do appreciate it <laughs> so much. And we very much appreciate uh, that we have seen some uh, sales of pride shirts. Yeah. We're very excited uh, to be donating all of the profits from our pride shirt sales this month to the Trevor Project. And we're also going to match all of the... Uh, 
profits yes. as well. And what's the Trevor Project? Explain that. This is a really cool organization. The Trevor Project is the leading and only accredited national organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning young people under the age of 25. The link for our merch page is at our website, theboxofoddities.com. We look forward to hanging out with you next time, you freak. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Wait, you said that twice. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. Provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. I know you do, sweetie. I need a chair. We both do. I need a chair. Boy, settle down. We got stuff to do. Oh, that was so nice. (laughs) Thank you. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.